0: Isaac Morehouse, welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. All right, so TK, uh, I'm in a really bad mood right now because we wanted to do this call and my technology was not working for some reason and we had to do it through a different means. I'm just all grumpy. Anything that disrupts my plan throws me off. So it's it's on you to improve my happiness through the course of this episode.
1: Oh no, dude. I want to exploit your grumpiness. The the fact that you are angry, that means it's gonna like bring out the best of you right now. This is like an NBA game where somebody's been talking trash to you, somebody just blocked your shot, <laughs> all in your face talking smack, and now you're upset and you're about to just go on fire.
0: Oh man. <laughs> Now you have me pumped up. I'm going to have to do it. The problem is, I I got to keep this somewhat family friendly, so I can't <laughs> I can't go too angry. Um, hey, so what are we going to call it? Because I, I want to start doing this once a week with you, just you and me. Because people, I've gotten so much feedback from people on the podcast. Uh, by the way, if you want to go check out their reviews or review it yourself, you can find uh, find it on iTunes. But people love the episodes uh, where you come on, and I enjoy them too because. It's just easier. We don't have to we don't have to prep as much. We just sort of uh can jump right in and get going. So we're gonna start doing this once a week. I feel like it should have a special name. What should we call it? Like like end of the weekday with TK or uh I don't know, uh Fridays with you know, Uncle Tiki or something. What, what are we going to do? <laughs> end of the, the week with Tiki? <laughs> I like that the most. End of the week with Tiki.
1: <laughs> or, or, or are we going to be like the I, 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 I Isaac and T-T-T-T-K Coleman experience? But <laughs> <laughs> you got to spell it out like that. Like have five I's and five T's in it. Oh, man.
0: Uh, all right. We'll have to come up with a name later. And then, of course, I'm I'm met with a dilemma because I'm so like type A and I need all my things organized properly is – Do I, do I number these episodes in my numbering system with all the other episodes? Because a lot of times, like right now, I already have the next two episodes that come out every Monday recorded and the recording has the episode number built into the file name and the tags and it's all ready to go. Now, if I insert this one beforehand... The universe gonna,
1: will explode. It's, good,
0: yes, exactly. My <laughs> universe, not the universe, my universe will explode. So we could do half numbers. We could do like episode 61 and a half.
1: You should do like a hieroglyph system so n- nobody understands what they think it's <laughs> deep.
0: You know? Well, with the Ask Isaac episodes and things, I just don't number them. But I've had some people complain like, well, I don't know which ones to listen to first. And, you know, I'm, I'm like, I don't It doesn't matter. But, but it, it bothers me. So
1: I, I, I have an episode question for you, as a matter of fact. So. Someone just did their first episode of a podcast, and they, they labeled it episode three. And I was like, wait, are there two episodes I don't know about? And she was like, no, no. A friend told me that you never put episode one when you're starting a new podcast because people typically don't listen to that. You know, it, it makes it like it's too new. <laughs> it's of like a, a marketing trick. You start with episode three because people are like, "Man, this podcast is a bomb." They've been around two episodes, you know, doing
0: that thing. Hey, that's that, that's like what that's what Star Wars did. You know, it's like they started with episode four, and then twenty years later, you can do a prequel. You can be like, "Here's my prequel. Here's episode one in retrospect." You know, once you're once you're popular. No, I mean with the way I did it, I didn't want to come out and be like, "I have a podcast," and there's just one episode. So I did my first, I think like five or 10 episodes. I had them all recorded in the bag and I put them all up at once and said, I've got a new podcast. Here are the first 10 episodes. Uh, so that was the way I went. But that that's pretty funny. I, I kind of, I find that pretty, pretty hilarious. We could so, just start, so, so. we could just start numbering these like episode 1005, you know?
1: Oh, I totally do. So we, we need like a system. Like, so what you took was the Netflix approach, the Netflix ordering approach where you just Give them
0: all out at once and people can binge listen. Yeah. Cause all three of my listeners just binge listen. <laughs> you know?
1: Right, right. They got to get all their Isaac at once. And yeah. then, I guess you took the, uh, the star Wars approach. That's pretty cool, man. I should do that with age. I should just be like, yeah, man, I'm 55. And then just like go down. It'll yeah.
0: When you're 60, you're going to be like living <laughs> to age 35, you know? Um, all right. So today I want to talk about entrepreneurship. Before you're actually an entrepreneur, because this is kind of a, this is kind of a, a, entrepreneurship as a, as a concept, uh startup certainly are very trendy right now. It's very sort of to sexy to talk about, you know, being entrepreneurial, or whatever else. And, and there's a lot of fluff involved in that. And it kind of is ill-defined, um, so there's a way of sort of being dismissive and being like, that's stupid. Like the definition of an entrepreneur is someone who has started a business and every other way to talk about it is just silly and it's just starting to get meaningless. I get that. I get that, that criticism. Uh, I would say that's the definition of a founder. Um, but entrepreneurship as a, as an action and in the, in the, the way that economists define it is creating a new, not even necessarily product or good, you know, as an inventor might do, it can be, but a new way to utilize existing resources, a new way to organize them or do things with them, something that hasn't been done before. Whereas like a manager or an employee or a specialist tends to be, doing something very well. You know, a cabinet maker is doing something according to a process that's well established where an entrepreneur might be someone that's saying, Hey, look, there's this material over here that no one's using and it's really cheap and it'd be great for cabinets. Here's cabinet makers over here. I'm going to create a new kind of cabinet or a new business model for cabinet makers, right? It's, it's innovating in that way. So as an action, entrepreneurial action is very broad and all of us do it in many ways. Um, Probably less so than than I think we could, but when we're young, that's kind of the way that we experiment and learn things, and it's it's open to potentially everybody to to sort of behave entrepreneurially, but it does kind of get a little bit fluffy and it and it loses a little bit of meaning. So I want you to defend because we use this word in praxis and our teen entrepreneurship course, which I want to talk about a lot today. Um, you know, it's like. Helping teens become more entrepreneurial, well what does that mean? if it doesn't mean starting a business right now, what could that possibly mean? I want you to defend the use of that word
1: yeah you know it's it's an interesting problem and and it's a fair problem and, and there are some interesting things that can be said on both sides for me, the term entrepreneur it's a little bit like the term artist you know on, on one end, you know you don't want to define that term too narrowly because then you'll fall prey to artistic stereotypes that clearly leave people out of the definition that we all know should belong there right so if you define an artist as someone that makes money uh, doing you know certain kinds of tasks like sculpting or painting you know that you're including some people that should be called artists but but that might be a little too narrow there may be some people that don't work in what we traditionally call the arts who we would all agree should be considered artists. I mean, there are certainly, um, you know, certainly the art of being a chef, or at least there are some people that take an approach to being a chef that we all would think, okay, this is definitely an artist. But then you don't want to respond to that by being too broad with it, because even though everything could be done artistically-
0: I'm a podcast artist. Yeah,
1: right, (laughs) Or, or I'm gonna sit on my butt today and that's my art, right? But it could be an art, but but there's something about the way. There's something about the way. You don't want to define it lazily as everything is art, even though that's potentially true. And you don't want to define it as only certain kinds of careers get to be art. So so you got to look for something about the spirit of the person who does it or the manner in which it's done. And and in fact, it's interesting that I chose that word because I think artist and entrepreneur, the more I wrestle with those terms, the more... Uh, the more of a difficult time I have parceling them out because the more they come down to this certain kind of attitude, this this disposition, this approach of of doing things in a way that is deliberate, doing things in a way that is is autonomous and and, uh, self-driven and and so forth, having some of these kinds of qualities. But, you know, I, I am a defender that everything can be entrepreneurial and that being an entrepreneur isn't just about, Making money, at least not in the present, because even successful entrepreneurs go long periods of time before they make money sometimes. And does that mean they don't get to become entrepreneurs until they're actually generating a profit? I think we still think of many people as entrepreneurs, even though they're not making money yet or it took them a while to make money. But I, I think ultimately, being entrepreneurial is it, 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 it involves a couple of things. Number one, it involves a, a determination to sort of, exercise creative autonomy you're you're not on autopilot you're not waiting for instructions you're not following an existing map you're to some extent creating your own answers forging your own path and making your own decisions uh you know there 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 could be some interesting discussion about what percentage you know involves following an existing map because we're always working with some amount of pre-existing material and what percentage involves coming up with your own answers. But certainly you have to have that element, I would think, to be entrepreneurial, you know, to some extent coming up with your own map. Uh, I think a second component is having an emphasis on value creation. So being an entrepreneur isn't, or being entrepreneurial isn't just about following your passion because your passion could be, again, sitting in front of the TV watching baseball, that there's nothing inherently entrepreneurial about the process of feeling good about what you do, but but it's about thinking about passion or thinking about interest in in a way that's connected to solving problems for people, enhancing the quality of their life, you know, helping them achieve their goals. It's a communal sort of thing. It involves considering the concerns of other people and trying to find a way to, to kind of connect your interests and passions to those things, but but I think again, it certainly involves an element of, of 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 doing something that makes you come alive and doing something that is in service to others. So I think those are a couple of components, but we might have to unpack those. We may have to go back and forth, kind of uh, looking at some counter examples. Man,
0: I don't want to unpack those. I want to pack them down tighter. That it's so it's too broad. It's still too broad. It's for It's still you. too broad. Yeah. What if we said? What if we said? What if we said the the. Act, you know, entrepreneurship as an act, not as a category. Because I'm fine as a, as a type of person. If you want to say this person is an entrepreneur, um, that's useful, that's common, and I think that's fine. And to me, that means you have started a business. So, for example, if you're going to put on your LinkedIn profile entrepreneur, in my mind, you better have started a business. Because if you haven't, it's going to sound like you're posing. But if we want to say entrepreneurship as an act, like I am acting in an entrepreneurial way in a given setting, I think that means creating value by by creating a, a new process or a new way of doing something. Um, so you know, a, a new way of creating value, a new process to, to do it, rather than just I'm doing this known process really well. So you can you can behave, you can tackle a problem traditionally or entrepreneurially, right? You can approach a wall and everyone around you says, you throw the rope over the wall and you climb up. Now you can tackle that problem. You can climb that wall fast and hard. You can work hard. You can do all those things. You can do it better or worse that in the traditional way. The entrepreneur would say, interesting. What if I remove the supports and knock the wall down and go over it that way? That's an entrepreneurial approach to that specific problem. Um, you know, maybe, maybe that, maybe that's a way to, to sort of define it. And I, and I guess I would say that. Thinking and acting entrepreneurially is a precondition to becoming a a business founder or someone who who creates a venture and sort of is an entrepreneur as a as a status. Yeah. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. So one important distinction I think we should make in a discussion like this is the distinction between what sorts of labels you ought to use to describe yourself publicly and and, and
0: <laughs> the, the need to exercise <laughs> and how, and how you think out. of yourself and how you think that's actually really really yes. powerful because you know it's, it's it's this weird thing that's actually a really good dichotomy that i haven't thought too much about because i think it's really valuable to think of yourself like i'm an entrepreneur i'm a creator i'm an artist i am you know whatever you want to think of yourself those are very powerful for me but if I see somebody else some like twenty year old kid who's just you know um, in school and his LinkedIn profile or Facebook says entrepreneur artist you know uh creator whatever manager <laughs> leader um I think boy, that just really turns me off because you want the evidence you want you want other people if it's going to be an external label you want other people to be the ones that are like yeah you are x or for them to be able to validate that by the 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 tangible evidence of what you've done rather than you just trying to convince them it's like trying to give yourself a nickname you know it's it's kind of unbecoming um but it's not unbecoming to think of yourself in those terms perhaps is that what you were getting at before i just like took all the words out of your mouth and said it my own way no, man, that's exactly what I was getting at. Maybe, maybe an additional element besides just being able to prove it or substantiate
1: your claim that you are an ex. It's also about having the social intelligence necessary to anticipate how people might categorize you or stereotype you and how that might be inconsistent with what you want. So if I go on LinkedIn and I say I'm an artist, fair or not, there are a lot of people that are going to look at that and they will assume that I work in the arts, Right. And I don't work in the arts. I think of myself as an artist, but I'm very likely to cause confusion and, and mislead people about what I do for a living. You know, So people might read that in a different way. So like you said, while it's powerful for me to think of myself as an artist, for me to respect the work that I do as a form of art, I can't see any ways in which it's very useful professionally. For me to describe myself that way, unless I'm in an environment where maybe I'm giving a talk and I say, I'm T.K. Coleman and I consider myself an artist and I have the opportunity to sort of explain that and make that part of an interesting speech. But other than that, it doesn't serve me to do it. So it's important when you're thinking about what it means to be an entrepreneur or what it means to be entrepreneurial, that you make that distinction between how I understand these terms, what qualities I need to embody in order to in order to learn the most from successful entrepreneurs and in order to get the most out of my career and what labels serve me the most as I'm attempting to create certain kinds of professional
0: results, you know? So when do you think someone ought to start thinking about how to be more entrepreneurial, how to identify opportunity uh, to think of themselves even if they don't own a company, to think of themselves as their own company, as as you know, the startup of you or me Inc. Uh, however, you want to think of it as their own, as their own sort of brand or product. Do you think that needs to be, or or is beneficial if people kind of cultivate that at a pretty early age?
1: All right. So you know, this is kind of a an odd one for me because I hear this question in a way that's similar to how I hear the question of when do you think people need to start caring about learning? When, do, when, when does education matter for a child? When, when should a child start valuing knowledge and the role that knowledge plays in them surviving and being successful? And, and, and that question is difficult for me because number one, it, it kind of assumes that the, the care, the passion, the concern, the interest isn't already in place, right? I, I think education is important. I think learning is important, but I don't think children ever need to be taught that. I, I've never met a child that isn't curious. I've never met a child that doesn't have things they're interested in. For, for me, I think the important question is not when is it important to you know teach children the value of education or when is it important to emphasize the value of learning? It's what's the best way to respond to their natural curiosity, to their natural inclination to learn, And and how do we effectively help those who have been damaged by ineffective approaches to education? How do we help them unlearn the things that sort of inhibit their natural sense of curiosity? So when it comes to applying that thinking to entrepreneurship, I think we're all naturally entrepreneurs in in the sense of embodying a certain way of thinking, in the sense of applying creativity to this process of, of achieving results we want. Uh, in the sense of we all have this rebellious instinct to deviate from maps in an effort to find our own answers, um, you know, a- experiment with our own lives and, you know, a- a- attempt to find new ways of doing things. In fact, every parent knows that their child has this instinct to rebel against the map that's laid out for them. Like, you know that your child doesn't have the same concern with ease, ease and efficiency that you do. You know, so you may lay a map out for your child and say, I'm telling you, I've tested all the ways. This is the best way to get from point A to point B. This is the best way to do X, Y, Z. And that child has something within them that says, yeah, I know, but number one, I gotta test it out for myself. Number two, I'm not quite sure that you've explored all the possibilities. Let Let me experiment because there might even be a better way. You know, and they have all these sorts of things going on. So, but I think the problem is when you start interacting with kids, by the age of 9, by the age of 12, by the age of 15, they've already had so much of the entrepreneurial spirit conditioned out of them by an approach to learning, by an approach to living that so emphasizes fear of failure, obedience to maps, conformity to norms, that you have to help them unlearn. So the question isn't, when should people start caring about entrepreneurship, or how do we help them learn it? It's... How do we prevent or mitigate this process of destroying the entrepreneurial spirit, a process that's been going on for a very long time, you know, and, and how do we help sort of rehab people who have kind of lost that? Am I making sense when I say Yeah, that?
0: yeah. You know, it's interesting having kids observing, and it's a temptation as a parent to solve their problems for them, but observing them, kids very naturally – if they have a problem, they want to figure out a way to solve it. You know, they're trying to connect to uh, Lego structures or something and they don't have a piece that's long enough. So they'll go get something that's not a Lego and they'll tape it together or, you know, they'll come up with these solutions. And I think the entire education process, as it currently is, is this sort of formalized schooling process, is it's about saying, don't go find the solution, let me give it to you. Let me give you the proper solution and intervening and saying stop being you know exploratory and creative and coming up with things you know and it's true most of those are going to be inefficient but they'll figure it out you know sooner or later through experimentation and trial and error but coming and saying here's the proper way to do it and i think if they're really curious and they're like this is not efficient enough and they start looking they'll find oh here are other people who have done it other ways this one's better on their own but if you just come and say there's one way here it is here's your solution It's kids are not motivated to go find a solution if they already have one, and so giving them a solution is like robbing them of the intrinsic motivation to learn and to be entrepreneurial. And sometimes, you know, that's that's one of the most dangerous things there is to 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 give solutions. um, You know, give people access to the information that they can go find them if they want to look for them themselves. But let them experiment and try. And I think about the way that kids approach the problems that they face in their day. and and they face when they're just playing outside of the school system. If they carried that with them when they're adults in the marketplace, what if adults face the same face problems the same way? You know, how many more businesses would be started and products developed if someone just said, you know what, this is, this is really inefficient. The way that, you know, my door opens to the left, but there's not enough room in here for this. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to come up with a different, I'm just going to take it off the hinges. I'm going to make a little, I'm going to make a little fix for it real quick. Right. And, And in a very simple way, like, you know, Jerry rigging things to be just right. But, in a more advanced way, Hey, this is really inefficient the way that this business and this business are trying to communicate with their customers. There's probably a better way. Let me just, let me just see if I can make that. Let me see if I can build that real quick. I bet I can. That's how kids approach things. And that's how entrepreneurs approach things, but there's so few of them left by the time they get through that, that schooling process. Okay. So can I, can I add something to that? Yeah, go, go for it. Okay. So now I agree with that assessment completely. But let's push it it a little bit,
1: and let's assume someone's listening to us right now and they're saying, well, I'm sorry, I don't know how your kids are, but my kids aren't like that. When they have a problem, the first thing they do is they run to me and they ask me for the solution. And let's assume that when their children do this, they don't do it in response to a parent having already conditioned them to depend on authority for help. Let's assume that children are the opposite of how we're describing right now, that the very first thing they do when they have a problem is they go to someone else and they say, fix it for me. And that's really what children want. This brings us to a second aspect of entrepreneurial thinking. One aspect is finding your own solutions, exercising creativity and so forth. Another aspect of entrepreneurial thinking is learning how to assess your priorities and learning how to do cost-benefit analysis, right? Not not only thinking about your goals in terms of, here's how I'm going to get there, but thinking about your goals in terms of, is it really worth it in light of the sacrifices involved, in light of the reality of scarcity that I have to face in day-to-day life? Now, now let's look at the same situation. Let's say your children come up against a problem and their instinct is to have you solve it. If you don't solve all of their problems for them, what are they, what are they going to do? They will naturally assess their priorities and do cost-benefit analysis, even if they don't use that language to describe what it is they're doing. So, um, for instance, you know, uh, a child may, 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 say something. Okay. so like, I would ask my mom questions all the time and I would just lo- I would love to just sit there and have her tell me stories and answer all of my questions and there would come a point where she would have other things. Yeah.
0: yeah it's totally different for me. I liked to give my mom answers.
1: <laughs> I love that, man. I love it. I hope, I hope your mom is listening to this episode.
0: <laughs> She's one of my four listeners. So I'm sure she is.
1: That's too awesome. You know, so I'd sit there, man, and I could go on for hours and my mom wouldn't get anything done if she let me control the conversation. But there come a point where I'd ask a question and my mom would say, Go look it up. And she would even tell me, you know, how to look it up. And you know what I'd do? At that point, I would I would I would say something like, uh, uh it's okay. It's okay, and and there are other times where I would say, oh yeah, okay, fine, I'll go look it up. Maybe I would be annoyed with her for not making it easy, but I'd still go look it up. And I developed a very good sense really early on of what questions were important to me and what questions were just mildly interesting. And that was very useful for me to have as a learner because I can ask questions all day long, but I actually don't care about all of my questions. And And you actually see in everyday life people going about without a clear sense of what sorts of things are important to them and and which ones are not. I mean, you can even see this on Facebook arguments where people make sorts of statements, they make make arguments, and then maybe when they're challenged or maybe when there's some kind of social cost, they realize, oh, I actually don't care about this opinion that much. I was just kind of saying something and I really didn't mean for anybody to take it seriously. And that kind of feedback is good, right? And that's another important aspect of entrepreneurial thinking. And when you don't solve problems for your children, you not only encourage them to think creatively, but you also encourage them to, you also help them get better at learning how to assess their priorities. And, and in fact, they're going to naturally do this, but you stop the process of of, of, of inhibiting their natural sense of this.
0: So TK, uh, I want I want to direct our, our listeners to discoverpraxis.teachable.com. And if you go to discoverpraxis.teachable.com, you will find a teen entrepreneurship course. And this is a pretty intensive uh, three-month course. Is it three months, TK, or two months?
1: Well, it, it, it's designed to be done in sixty days. Although there are ways you can hack the course, approach the course that
0: okay. So, but 60, 60 days is sort of the pace that um, pretty intense, but pretty 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 solid. Um, That's the optimal
1: pace. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So why, why'd you put this together, TK? And I'm going to read that there's five modules. Module one, learning and living purposefully. Module two, mastering self-knowledge and motivation. Module three, building your personal brand. Module four, unlocking the hidden entrepreneurial mindsets. And then module five is a 30-day personal development project. So what's in this course and what, I guess why why did you put it together? What, what what do you think its 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 value is? Who's who's it valuable to? There, I guess all the the who where when what why and how all of those tell us about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay,
1: so I, I want to explain it in terms of a of an age old philosophical problem, uh, and, and it's the question of when does a grain of sand become a heap of sand? We all know there's a difference between a grain and a heap. You can look at one and, and distinguish it from the other. But suppose you have a grain of sand and you add another grain is it a heat of course not right but then let's say you take a handful of sand and you add that isn't a heat ah, probably not you know but if you keep doing this at some point you're going to have a heat and you'll know when you're looking at a heat when you're looking at it but it's really difficult to precisely define at what point we have gone from a grain or a bunch of grains to an official heat but I think the important thing is that we have this ability to distinguish between a pile, between a heap and a grain, to know that there is a difference. There is such a thing as as a non-heap, and and that our ability to precisely define the number of grains that it takes to make a heap isn't a, a necessary condition of being able to recognize a heap. In a similar way, there are all sorts of interesting questions we can ask about entrepreneurship, and it can be really difficult to give a comprehensive, exhaustive, absolutely precise definition of entrepreneurship that doesn't leave anybody out who belongs in the category, while at the same time not being so broad as to be meaningless. But I don't think we need to be able to succeed at that in order to have the ability to recognize that there are certain qualities and attributes that all successful entrepreneurs, all successful creators sort of have in common or that they have to rely on in order to achieve goals that are important to them. And so one of the reasons why I created this course is because I feel like there are certain definite attributes we can all agree on. And many of these attributes are natural for human beings to exhibit or develop. But in a lot of the young people that I may work with, or a lot of the young people who may be present at talks on education and economics that I give, they either lack these attributes because their approach to education has sort of conditioned them to think in the opposite way, or they have these uh, attributes, but they feel a lot of social pressure kind of resisting the expression of them, and, and they don't know how to, how, how to you know, um, act on these you know, qualities. Without maybe destroying relationships or really confronting some 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 very frightening fears, so I wanted to give young people the permission to embrace their entrepreneurial side, but also give them a little bit of guidance to to show them how they can do this without ruining their lives. Because it's one thing to preach uh, about the value of failure; it's one thing to say don't be afraid of failure, but but it's but but it's another thing to show people how to act on that idea intelligently because there are some forms of failure that could ruin your life, even though I don't believe most forms of failure that hold us back from living out our dreams fall in that category. But you do need to help people, help guide people to thinking clearly and critically about these sorts of things. So that's a major part of the reason why I created the course. Another reason is because I, I was giving a talk one time and there was a young man in the audience. He was about 15 years old. And and, and it was actually a talk I was doing with you, and we were talking about entrepreneurship. And his question was, "What, What if I don't want to be an entrepreneur? What if all I want to do is go get a job and just move up the corporate ladder? And, you know, there was something about that question that frightened the hell out of me because I knew that his question, was not a rare one. And I knew the mentality from which that question sprang was not a rare one. There are a lot of people in this world who kind of have this attitude that says, oh yeah, I don't need to think about certain issues and develop certain qualities because I'm not trying to be an artist. I'm not trying to be an entrepreneur. I'm not trying to do anything weird. I don't want to win an Academy Award. I don't want to cut a rap album. I don't want to own a billion-dollar business, and I don't want to be on the cover of Forbes magazine. So I'm cool. All I need to do is follow the map, do what I'm told, go to school, get a decent degree, and I'll be able to – take an uncreative approach to my professional life and probably make 50 to $75,000 a year, meet the love of my life, have a couple of kids, a nice house in the suburbs, and I'm good to go. And I think it's important for people to realize that we are in a world where that is much harder to do than it has ever been. And if you want to work in a space where you don't think you have to be entrepreneurial, you have much more competition than entrepreneurs. You have much more people doing things that seem to be secure, that seem to be predictable than anything else. And the need to distinguish yourself by using creativity, the need to think of yourself as an artist, whether you use that label to describe yourself or not, in the workplace is greater than it's ever been. And so I created this course not just for people that want to own, own a business, but I created this course for people that are inclined to buy into what I think is one of the most dangerous ideas of our times. And that is, there is such a thing as a safe and secure path to building your career and to being an adult. And I wanted to sort of blow the piece, you know, blow that myth to pieces and, and replace that with an attitude of, of. Self responsibility, self determination, an attitude that says nothing is promised, and that's okay because there is a way to succeed in a world where nothing is promised.
0: So, what's actually in the course? I mean, what is if somebody signs up? You know, a fourteen-year-old, a seventeen-year-old. Um, what are they actually going to be getting? What are they going to be going through? What are they going to be doing?
1: So, as I mentioned earlier, the course is, is is optimally designed for sixty days, and the first thirty days consists of a daily lesson. And each one of those lessons highlights some aspect of the entrepreneurial attitude or the entrepreneurial approach. And in addition to a lesson that highlights it, there are additional study materials where there are podcast episodes, uh, videos, you know, other articles, things along those lines that they will consume. And, And this will allow them to sort of engage that lesson from a variety of different perspectives. So for instance, if in one lesson we talk about the importance of thinking about what you're good at, thinking about what you're not good at, thinking about what you love, all important things to think about, we'll give a lesson on that topic, but we'll also give additional study materials where you have to engage that topic from different perspectives. You have have people arguing against the value of following your passion and just completely bashing the idea You've got people defending it against those kinds of objections. And the purpose of those additional study materials is to help you develop the capacity to think critically about the lesson, not just memorize what we say, not just follow a map that we lay out for you, not just do what the praxis guys ought to think. Because ultimately, with many of these issues, you have to assess your own tolerance for risk, your own priorities, your own interests, and so forth, and make your own decision. Then beyond the study materials... For each one of those lessons there are questions for reflection and discussion and and these questions are not your typical question question in the sense of like uh, hey you know um, what did the author of this article mention in the first you know paragraph we're not asking questions that are designed to get you to spit back answers based on what we think is important we're asking questions that are designed to get you to argue against what you're reading to defend what you're reading against certain sorts of objections to weigh what you're reading against your own life, against your own experiences, and so forth, to kind of test it out in the laboratory of your mind, and, and, and it's also set up for being able to discuss these things with your parents, with your friends, and with Praxis staff, if you you know follow the instructions that are laid out on the course for how to communicate with us. Then, going beyond the questions for reflection, there's a learning exercise, and the learning exercise isn't about you know. Um, you know, hey, get up, walk around the block and think about what you just read. The learning exercise is some sort of specific practical challenge where you have to take this lesson and the thoughts you have about it, and you have gotta go out there and do something. And usually the thing that you have to do either involves learning more about who you are, what you're good at, what your priorities are, and all these other introspective questions, or it's about going out there in the real world and facing some kind of fear. And so you're going to do that every day for 30 days in a way that gets increasingly more difficult. And then at the end of that 30 days, there is a there is a personal development project. There is a 30 day challenge where everything changes. No more daily lessons. No more additional study materials. No more questions for reflection. Now it's about action and it's it's about you know um, discipline and persistence and challenging yourself. So every day there is a different challenge, and you just got to show up. And you got to do that challenge now by the time you get to this 30 30 day challenge you'll have already built your own website based on previous lessons and assignments and once you get to that 30 day challenge everything that you do each day you document it on your blog
0: so, so, so you're actually in the first section you're actually building a website as well there's some basic instructions in there on how to do that to kind of create a basic website and, and your digital brand is that correct
1: Yes. It leads up to it incrementally. So by the time you even get to the point where you're building a website, you've already had lessons on things like the value of personal branding and what personal branding is all about. You know, the pros and cons of having a website.
0: A is someone of- without without a lot of tech knowledge going to be able to do it?
1: If they follow the steps laid out to them in the course, they can absolutely do it. We're, we're not asking people to design a website for a Fortune 500 company. We're asking people to we're challenging people to build a simple blog where they can be able, where they can document their thoughts and sort of tell the world about themselves an online interactive resume, so to speak.
0: So the first, the first 30 days of the 60 day course is really getting the mindsets right, asking the right questions and applying those to yourself, starting to build that digital presence and kind of, you know, think of yourself as, as your own uh, brand, and then the second 30 days is now that you have that framework, both intellectually and in the form of this website, you're going to go through this 30-day professional development or personal development project, and you're going to document how you overcame these different challenges and, and created value sort of each day of those 30 days. Uh, and if you complete the whole course and can, can demonstrate it with your PDP, you get a free coaching session with TK, Right.
1: Absolutely. All you have to do is send me the link to your blog and I can look for myself and see if you did the 30 day challenge, because a part of the 30 day challenge is simply documenting what you do each day. And and, and it's actually the the challenge is the hardest part. And the documentation simply involves saying what you did and, you know, telling us what was the most difficult part of that. What was the easiest part of that? What was what was fun about it? what what might have been boring about it and what you learned by doing it, you know? Um, so, if, if you can send me the link to that, and you complete the course. We'll sit down for 30 minutes, and what we'll do is, is we'll talk about your course experience and, and what the next steps are, how you can take what you've learned and what you've accomplished and build on that as a foundation. And we'll also talk about your goals, your interests, and how we can support you in the pursuit of those things.
0: So, this course is again, Com, and the course cost is $249 for the 60-day course. However, uh, we have a, a promo code for you podcast listeners. If you type in the promo code PODCAST, all caps, PODCAST, 30% off. So it will be uh, less, than, less than $200. Um, so again, discoverpraxis.teachable.com, promo code PODCAST. Uh, TK, who, who is this course for? Because it's called the Teen Entrepreneurship Course. What if you're not a teen? Is is this not really for you? Is it really targeted at teens? Uh, and when you say teen, is that you know, eleven years old, fifteen years old? Who's who's somebody who really would would gain a lot from this program? Who's the ideal customer?
1: The ideal customer would be uh, teens between the age of fourteen and eighteen. If if you are younger than that, and 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 parents have to sort of make a decision based on you know their knowledge of their child i'm sure there may be some outlier 13 or 12 year old who could take the course but but keep in mind if you're attempting to have someone younger than that age take the course that the work is challenging and it's going to take a time commitment and this course is best done if it's done out of someone's own free will you know um the course isn't designed. To so, so, so,
0: forcing your kid to do it is probably not going to get much value. It's probably not. I can tell you right now, parents, if you're going to force your kid to do this, uh, you probably can spend your money better elsewhere. If they have an interest and it excites them, then it is absolutely a huge value.
1: Right. If you force your children to take this course, it'll be good for my pocketbook because I get to make money. But I don't think it'll be great for your kid, and I, I honestly just don't think you should do it. You know, yeah. people learn when they're interested in it. Um, you know, so can, can I say something on on more of a personal level about why I'm inspired to, you know, create this course?
0: Yeah. You well, You didn't have to ask permission. I'm a little disappointed that you didn't just start saying it. Come on, <laughs> just, just run over, just oh, just take ownership of the show, TK. Be entrepreneurial, man. That's right, that's right. <laughs> you, you know,
1: um, everything that I said before about why I created this course is absolutely true, but there's another dimension to this as well. And that dimension is, I really like people, man. I really do.
0: And I probably, probably like people more than anyone I've ever met. Like every, <laughs> every human being you see, you're like, that is an interesting person. I want I want to go talk to them. I wish their best. and I'm sort of like, ah, I'm just trying to get, get it, move on, move on with my goals.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I really like people, man. And I, I really enjoy seeing people live happy and healthy lives. I really enjoy it when I see people take charge of their experience. And when I see people deal with their circumstances in an empowered way. You know, when when um, there there was a time when I would work a job where I would get out really late at night. It was like I, I wouldn't get out until like 1130. I was working at a restaurant and there was a Denny's that was right by the apartment where I live. And it was the only place where I could go get a cup of coffee and read my books and kind of nerd out for an hour or two after a long day of work. So. A few nights every week, I would go to this Denny's. I would
0: get caught. Plus, it's like it's like 75 cents for like 16 eggs and five pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> the the triple-double grand slam or whatever.
1: Hey, hey, man, I might be able to procure a
0: Denny's endorsement with this. <laughs> yeah, we should do some Denny's affiliate marketing.
1: <laughs> I don't know, though. I don't know if I'm going to make Denny's look all that great with this story. I won't make him <laughs> look bad, but this wasn't the brightest day at Denny's. So I'm I'm, I'm there having my coffee. And I'm reading my books and there are, you know, there's a group of, of, of high school guys, about four guys, they come in there and they sit at a booth that's next to me and they're just sort of hanging out. And after they eat their food, they, they get ready to leave. And they're standing there at the counter trying to pay. And I hear the person working there saying, I'm sorry, our, our credit card machine is malfunctioning right now and I can't process credit card payments. Do you guys have cash? And I heard an audible groan. You know, like it was clear that these guys didn't have cash. They were hoping they could pay with their cards. And so now everybody's kind of a little bit stressed. But the person working there is still trying to resolve the problem. And a lot of time goes by. They they, they call the, the manager, and that person isn't picking up. I'm not sure what's going on. But at least ten minutes goes by. And and these guys, you know, they're they're probably like, 50, you know, like. They look like they're anywhere between 15 and 18. And they're just kind of whining about it, like, oh man, like I want to go, you know, and it's kind of late. And, you know, the person who's, you know, working for Denny's having this problem is like, I'm I'm really sorry, guys. Just I'm trying to figure this out or what have you. And I didn't want to intervene. I didn't want to make it my business, but I couldn't help myself. I intervened and I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to intervene, but I have to. These guys have been waiting here to pay for their food for 10 minutes. 10 minutes, And right now you're holding them hostage for a problem they didn't create. I understand the situation you're in. It's a horrible situation, but this is a problem that Denny's has to take responsibility for. These guys have every right to expect that they can be able to pay for their meal with their credit cards. And if you can't accept that payment, then this is something you've got to take ownership of. You can't just keep them here indefinitely until this problem is solved. 10 minutes is just too much. And that person looked at me and they didn't look at me like they were mad. They looked at me like, you're right. And she looked at the guys and says, you guys can go. And they were like, oh, wow. And they looked at me and they said, thank you, sir. Thank you so much. And they left. And Isaac, there's a part of me that hated that I had to do that. I, I wish that wasn't a problem. I, I feel so bad for the person who was stuck with that problem at Denny's that night and couldn't get a hold of anybody. However, why that story means so much to me personally, because I, I couldn't sit there in peace and be okay with my life, knowing that these guys were dealing with an unnecessary convenience, inconvenience, an inconvenience that could have been solved. With a little bit of assertiveness, a little bit of uh, recognition of their own rights and their own possibilities, and a little bit of out of the box thinking, and I appreciate the fact that they were young. They didn't know. I didn't look at them as they were as if they were stupid or anything like that. But I had to intervene and fight for their possibilities, man. Um, and, and and that's that's what I've always loved doing. That's where I've always gotten my greatest fulfillment is fighting for people's possibilities in a world where. People are inclined to always defend their limitations. And I believe that it is in the spirit of youth to to dream, to to think of big things. And it's always been this way throughout human history. We have always looked to the young people to sort of inspire us to remember that part of us that dreams. And sometimes parents or older people can be demonized and looked upon as dream slayers. But I think one of the reasons why many adults function as dream slayers, even though they have good intentions and they don't want to be dream slayers, is because a lot of the people out there who advocate the follow your dreams philosophy, they advocate a very superficial version of it that makes it hard not to reject. You and I have had a lot of conversations about self-help philosophy and motivational psychology. And if we're honest with ourselves, no matter how much we may have benefited from it, no matter how many favorite speakers I may have, no matter how much I may love Tony Robbins, there's a lot of fluff in that industry. And there's a lot of crap in there that's so superficial and so lacking in substance that it sounds good, but when you see parents skeptical of that kind of stuff, like, yeah, it's not just so simple, like follow your passion, you get it, you understand it, because you can't build a life on cliches and slogans. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to create something that would help give young people a good reason for believing in their possibilities and fighting in their possibilities and give parents a good reason for believing. There are people out here showing young people how to follow their dreams in a way that has substance. And moreover, the people that are showing them how to do that are people that have followed and continue to follow their dreams in their own lives. We're not motivational speakers out here. Uh, We, 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 you know, rehashing something we've read in books. We're guys who have experienced a lot of the very things that young people are afraid of. And, and we can speak from the other side of failure and say, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. It makes you a better person and it can be a great foundation for success. So that's sort of an emotional reason I wanted to share as, as to why I'm motivated to create that course.
0: Discoverpraxis.teachable.com. And use the promo code podcast for a 30% discount on the Praxis Teen Entrepreneurship course. TK, thanks for coming on and talking.
1: Man, it's always a pleasure.